In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. But we don't only bring you thought leaders from around the world. We also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations, to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we are on every major podcast platform from Apple Podcasts to Google Play to Spotify to Stitcher. So you can find us all over the web. Now, I invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or go to my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. And let me know what you'd like to hear about. You know, give us some ideas on what you want to hear, what kind of subjects you want to hear on this show. But if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless of your business is international, or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's episode because it's about what's happening today and what's going to happen in the future. Rohit Talva opens a new book that he just wrote with a statement that says it all, an incomplete past in an uncertain future. And when I read this opening statement, I think about the pandemic and the pandemic is not over and the future is still a little bit uncertain. But I'm also very positive when I hear this statement because we've had a long, hard journey behind us and we see some very positive trends. Rohit says the world has run out of adjectives to describe the shockwaves caused by the pandemic and the damage it has done to lives, societies, business economies, and entire nations. And I think somewhere along the way, we didn't just run out of adjectives, but we stopped predicting things. If you remember in May 2020, we all hoped that everything would be normal by September 2020, and then February 21 um, came and we it we thought it still wasn't back to normal. Then May 2021 came, and now I think we are living the new normal. And Rohit says that during the continuing global pandemic, we also were witnessing some very positive things, a great level of innovation and positive change that most have never experienced in our lifetimes. So we're going to talk about that today. And who is Rohit? Rohit 
Talva is a global futurist, award-winning keynote speaker, author, and the CEO of Fast Future. His prime expertise lies in helping clients understand and shape the emerging future. He has a particular interest in how we can create a very human future by putting people at the center of the agenda. He is the founder of Fast Future, a research and insights business that specializes in the fields of future and foresight. Fast Future explores, experiments, and creates various future ideas and scenarios to deliver critical insights to individuals and businesses that want to consider and create a better future. He's also quite a renowned author. He is a co-author, editor, or author of many books, including A Very Human Future in Reaching Humanity in a Digitalized World, The Future of Business, Critical Insights to a Rapidly Changing World from 60 Future Thinkers, The Future Reinvented, and uh, reimagining life, society, and business beyond genuine stupidity, ensuring AI serves humanity, and his two newest books, Aftershocks and Opportunities, Scenarios for a Post-Pandemic Future, was published in June 2020, and now Volume 2 is out, Aftershocks and Opportunities, Navigating the Human Horizon, which was just and this was just released and is available on Amazon. So, Rohit, um, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, I want I want to step back a little bit because because you're a futurist and you've been writing papers for a long time. And back in 2012, you wrote a paper for the the Accountancy Management Institute about 100 drivers of change. Okay, um, things and one of the things you said is businesses have to be ready to change. So when you were writing that 2012, did you ever expect us to you know, have be in the situation we were in in 2020? We were anticipating that there would be major shocks of this nature, whether it was climatic shocks, uh, a pandemic, or major terrorist incidents. We thought there would be something on a global scale. Obviously, no one could anticipate exactly when it happened. And I think no one could anticipate the second and third order effects of how economies would be shut down, how global travel would come to a complete halt, and how economies would have to adapt to cope with tens of millions being out of work. And so whilst you could talk about the general risks and challenges, I don't think anyone could have been perfectly prepared for what happened. But your message back there was to tell businesses they they have to prepare for uncertainty. And um, I think, you know, do you think many businesses heard you back then, um, took account of that? I think that was quite a, a recovery period. We'd, we'd come out of the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Things were starting to boom again. Everyone was very focused on revenue growth and an increasing level of digitization in business. So to prepare for big shocks, it goes against the natural human desire to focus on growth. <laughs> so it was inevitable that people put preparation for major shocks towards the bottom of the agenda. Mm -hmm. it, it started to rise up again with things like cyber attacks. Now what we see is 
everywhere we look, businesses are saying we have to be better prepared, not just for future shocks, but also for future shifts and opportunities, because the world has changed so much in the last year and a half that everything feels like it's changed. And we need to be much more nimble and much more adept at responding to opportunities and also anticipating them. And then finally in creating the future, not just waiting to be given someone else's future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and let's fast forward a little bit to, to you know, 2020. And you your first book came out um, in June 2020. And you were talking, and this was after the pandemic, we were all kind of in shock, okay? And you talk about, you know, what could happen, you know, four baseline scenarios about how economies might evolve um, over the next couple of years. And this was right at the beginning of the pandemic. What were what were you thinking and what were those scenarios back then? So to take you through very quickly, the first scenario, we had two axes, really. One was about how well the pandemic was contained and addressed. And the second was the nature of the downturn and recovery. So the first scenario was one where characterized, well, so it's called the long goodbye, and it was characterized by a poorly contained pandemic where and uh, a deep and prolonged economic downturn. So in this one, we envisaged several years before we got a full vaccination program out there, a very slow pace of rollout and real challenges in rolling it out to the, the hardest uh, hit and poorest countries. And that the the downturn just kind of rolled on, new shocks came in, and, and meant that it took us several years to get back to anywhere close to 2019. The second one we called the P, uh, the VIP economy. In this one, you have a poorly contained pandemic, but a much more vibrant economic rebound. So very similar in terms of the first one around the handling of the pandemic. But what was different here is that the wealthier end of the market recovered. Uh, and we saw the some businesses really succeed while others went to the wall. Some segments of society really benefit while others really struggled. And a lot of people call that the K-shaped economy, which is certainly how it's looked for, for some time now. Um, and then the next one we called Safe But Hungry, where we'd effectively eradicated the pandemic, but still had a deep and prolonged economic downturn. Uh, and in this one, the the model was that we kind of had the vaccination roll out much uh, much faster. We got the vaccines delivered faster and rolled out across the globe within about two years. Uh, but the the economic shocks lived on, and the economies around the world struggled to pull themselves back out. The final most optimistic scenario was called inclusive abundance, where we get both eradication of the pandemic and a vibrant economic rebound. And so in this scenario, there was that feeling that what we actually have is a, a, a an innovation-focused return to growth, a focus on green economic development, and on encouraging new industries and reskilling people to work in those new industries. So a big underpinning of retraining of the entire workforce to prepare them for the near term and the medium to long term. What's actually happened? I think we're uh, we're sort of in a situation now where. We are sort of recovering economically, but we're in a kind of level of nervous hesitancy about whether things could could go wrong again. We can see 
real shockwaves coming from what's going on in China in terms of the clampdown on business, the clampdown on regulators, and the focus on trying to create more social progress and social prosperity, uh, which is slowing down business. And no one's quite sure how that will play out. And then on the pandemic, we've, we've made real progress in certain economies. Um, most of the UK where I come from, uh, the majority of people have had uh, um, have had uh, two vaccinations, whereas other parts of the world, it's been very slow and very low levels of vaccination. So so we're in a mixed bag and, and we, we might call this nervous hesitancy right now. Mm-hmm. OK, and, and that kind of goes to your new book, um, what you're talking about in your new book um, and talking about kind of the, the three new scenarios, which kind of evolved from, you know, 2020 to 2021. And I'd like to I'd like to deep go into those a little bit further and talk about especially the tech and the economy and what those three scenarios that you see in the new book are now 20 months later into the situation, but we're going to take a short break first, and when we come back, we'll talk about that. And for our listeners, we are talking to Rohit Talva, and he is a global futurist, award-winning keynote speaker, author of uh, author and CEO of Fast Future. Um, he is focusing on helping clients understand and shape the emerging future. And he has a particular interest in how we create a very human future by putting people at the center. Fast Future helps explorers, experiments, and creates various future ideas and scenarios to deliver critical insights to individuals and businesses that want to consider a better future. And he also has two books that have come out since the pandemic. The one we were just talking about in 2020, the first Aftershocks and Opportunities Scenarios, for a post-pandemic future, and the one that's hot off the press now, Aftershocks and Opportunities 2, Navigating the Horizon, which was, and this was just released and is available on Amazon. And if you'd like to learn more about Fast Future, go to www.fastfuture.com. And Rohit is on Facebook under Rohit K. Talva, and on LinkedIn under Rohit Talva, futurist keynote speaker, and on Twitter under at Fast Future. So please reach out to Rohit. And this series is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital organizations. You can learn about Cinda on www.cinda.org. And please go there for more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break. What's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter? You can find us at Voice America TRN. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are 
listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about the present and the future. And we're talking with Rohit Talva. And he's a global futurist, an award-winning keynote speaker, author, and the CEO of Fast Future. And he's he has two new books out. Well, one book from June 2020 called Aftershocks and Opportunities, Scenarios for Post-Pandemic Future. And that's available on Amazon. And now volume two of Aftershocks and Opportunities is available on Amazon. And it's about navigating the next horizon. And this was just released. So you can go to Amazon and get that book. So Rohit, we were talked about kind of what you saw in the in 2020 and now a little bit what you're seeing and if i come back to your your new book out there you're talking about um three scenarios that you're seeing now and and what they might likely be would you like to kind of talk about that a little bit with us sure so we we narrowed it down a little bit and uh, the first scenario is if you like the worst case scenario of a choppy recovery where we really don't get any better uh, over the next five years. And when, whenever we think we're pulling back up again, some new shock comes in. So whether it's China uh, collapsing or struggling, slowing down global growth, a new global recession, the US going into recession, an accelerated pace of technology adoption leading to very high levels of redundancies, other shocks in the marketplace. We're basically constantly moving from shock to shock. The second scenario is one we call nervous optimism, as I sort of touched on earlier, where things do feel like they're getting better, both in terms of dealing with the pandemic, but also in terms of economic recovery. And there is a hesitant move forward for the next few years, and there may be a stronger pickup from 2024, 2025 onwards. And then the third scenario is one we're calling innovation and growth. And much like in the 1920s, after uh, the, the First World War, we had a massive outpouring of innovation that led to what was called the Roaring Twenties uh, for a period, obviously, and then we had the Great Depression. But uh, the Similarly, this time around, all the money that's going into innovation and science and technology development around the world leads to a, a period of innovation and growth and a real boom for the global economy with the creation of new industries, the transformation of existing businesses and the retraining of the workforce for the new jobs and new opportunities that are coming through. Mm-hmm. And the third the third scenario, innovation growth, I mean, that's very, very positive. And do, do you think we're heading in that direction or how can we push ourselves a little bit more in this direction? I, I think we are heading there in some respects. In others, there's concerns that we're relying too much on technology and things like artificial intelligence will take away more jobs than get created by the other industries. I think the key thing we have to do right now is train and retrain to make sure that governments, corporations, and individuals are all focusing on massively raising our skill levels, making sure that we're learning not only the technical skills for new jobs, 
but also the personal skills. So learning how to manage our own stress, learning how to collaborate better, to be part of a team, to solve problems, to see the big picture, to think in system terms, and to do the horizon scanning, looking ahead, looking at what's changing. Those are all skills that everyone needs to have. And we need to be investing in those at pace, whilst also massively upgrading our digital literacy. If we can do those things, then we help people find jobs in the new industries, but we also give them a lot of the skills and support to start their own businesses so that we can still keep employment moving and growth happening and new ideas coming to market faster and faster, enabling new businesses to, to be born and grow. Mm-hmm. And you talk a lot about that in your book, and I'm going to come back to it a little bit later because you talk about what organizations and corporations really have to do. Um, but I want to stay in the tech for a moment because you said, let's talk about tech technology in the next economy. Um, you recently did a presentation in Berlin, and you talked about technology in the next economy. You talked about a divided planet. What did you mean by that? Well, the, the thought lines between the major blocks are kind of growing. So between Europe, the US, China, Russia, we see the tensions growing. There are more and more areas of conflict from the usual things around trade and territory. Now there's a lot of concerns about cyber warfare and around the competition for leadership in key fields of science and technology, which are seen as key to economic leadership in the future. China sees artificial intelligence as being the key battleground. It's investing over $430 billion in developing AI leadership. And so we're seeing the battleground shifting to those areas and more and more tensions. Companies finding it harder and harder to do business in these different regions because of the very different reporting requirements and almost being forced to split themselves in two or three to have entities that can be more focused on those markets. So that's where we see a lot of these tension points and and a feeling that maybe we're going to move further apart in the near term before we find ways of coming back together. And we've just seen from the United Nations uh, this idea of can we create a common agenda? Can we can we get back to working together and overcoming those boundaries? Um, and so the UN Secretary General has put out this report with 12 key areas of action to, to make things happen. Let's see how well the nations of the world get behind that. Let's see what happens through as a result of the latest COP22, uh, 26 summit in Glasgow, where the world got, you know, has got together to try to work out how we move forward on climate change again. Mm-hmm. So we have we have these these battlegrounds, and um, you know whether it's leadership, climate, uh, AI, um, you know all this is going on. And I want to I want to stay on AI for a minute, okay? Because it's become more and more prevalent in our lives, and how. Ha- how big a role do you think this is going to be playing as we go forward to solve our problems in these battlegrounds? And even though it's a battleground itself. <laughs> well, AI is already very central to our lives. We just don't see it. So if we apply for a mortgage, it's it's assessing risk. If we use a dating app, it's helping match us. 
if we have a mobile phone, there are a whole range of AI apps, including uh, speech recognition, uh, speech interpretation, all sorts of things going on there. And so it's already present in society and it's spreading out further and further. We're now seeing AI courts in China resolving legal disputes that are about digital businesses entirely with automated judges, no humans involved. So it's already there and it's going to spread very fast. There's a field of AI called robotic process automation, which is effectively automating the tasks of individuals on the front line, taking away the more repetitive and dull tasks. And that is moving at an accelerated pace. Uh, and we'll see that moving faster and faster as companies walk away from the big digital transformation projects that are very hard to do top down to move more towards this bottom-up automation of business process and business activity. And in the next few years, we're just going to see more and more of this happen, more and more adoption of off-the-shelf AI tools to do bigger and bigger parts of what we do, whether it's sales, marketing, production management, scheduling, all of those things inside our business. And of course, service with things like chatbots. So it's very hard to see how AI won't penetrate every single role in society. We're already seeing it in medicine, we're seeing it in legal, we're seeing it replacing judges. There is no aspect of human activity where we won't see a growth in the use of AI, which is why it's so important for people to understand it. Uh, and one of the most valuable resources we've seen is a six module teaching program from uh, the Finnish government and the University of Helsinki called the Elements of AI. You can find it online. And it's designed to teach anyone about what AI is at a fundamental level, so we can then engage with it more effectively. Mm-hmm. And um, well, that's a that's a very good tip because I think a lot of people actually don't understand what AI is. And when we're talking about AI, Rohit, I want to, you know, it works on what we teach it, okay? And if we're talking about access to information a lot of times when you're talking about AI and medical. Um, AI and you know risk assessment. Um, what about this this battleground of access to information? Okay, you know one time we're we're building AI, we want information, we need information, and then on the other hand, we have a lot of the privacy issues going on. Europe, you know, in Europe with GDPR and CCPA in the U.S. and things. How do you balance the access to information? It's very difficult because when when information is available, people want it and they want to use it and it's hard to restrain them when they cross the line. And so we see that time and time again, whether it's corporations or governments going beyond what they're supposed to with our data. And I think what will happen more and more is we'll use AI to prevent people from accessing our data. There are already apps on the blockchain that use AI to effectively give permission to different groups to access parts of our data. So whether it's a bank or a mobile phone company or some other vendor, but it's very controlled. So if they try to access data they're not supposed to, they can be removed from all access. And I think we'll do more and more of that. We'll have AI tools and smart tools basically governing who we can give access, who we want to give access to, how they can access that data and maybe even having some people pay us for access to our data because they want to use it for marketing purposes. I think it's only through the technology that we can effectively control 
our own data and prevent it just being out there for everyone to use because data is so valuable. It's at the heart of the growth of so many of the biggest biz businesses on the planet. And naturally enough, the population is saying, well, why can't we have a piece of that? If you're making money off my data, why can't I get a piece of it? Or why can't I restrict you more in accessing my data? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when, when I'm thinking about data and I'm thinking about, you know, sometimes I, 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 the question is, is it the chicken or the egg first? I mean, is AI, are we getting the technology or is the human behavior shaping the technology? And when I think about that question, I, it comes spending and, and currency comes to mind. And um, before the break, a quick question on that. I mean, you know, where do you see, you know, human behavior going as far as spending, banking, cryptocurrencies, um, blockchain, where's that going? In which direction? Well, I guess now it's hard to do the chicken and egg thing because mm -hmm. our behavior shapes what the technology is being developed to do and, and our behavior adapts to the technology. So the two are working hand in hand. Mm -hmm. One of the big things we've seen is a kind of changing in our attitudes towards money. With the rise of the crypto economy that was born as a response to the global financial crisis, the founders of the first crypto was uh, were, that was called Bitcoin, and there they wanted to have something that was reportable or reported only to its own code, rather than politicians deciding they wanted to print more money whenever they needed to. Uh, Bitcoin was born with a fixed amount that could ever be issued, 21 million coins. Now you can buy it down to 18 decimal places. So there's a lot of fractions of a Bitcoin available. But what we're seeing is a growth in that economy. It's now worth something like 2.6, 2.7 trillion dollars. Bitcoin has been the fastest growing financial asset in history. We now have about 300 million users of crypto around the world. Could well grow to a billion in the next few years. It, but it's largely been designed by techies for techies to access. So the next wave is people making it easier for you to buy and use crypto. And we're seeing people like MasterCard, Visa, the banks all saying they'll play that middle person role. Uh, and what we're seeing is it, it's allowing people to participate in, a, in the financial system in a way they couldn't before. So if I want to lend money to someone with a in, in a complex financial instrument, Previously, that was the reserve of the banks, the financial institutions, and the super wealthy. But now, even with $5, I can get into a liquidity pool or an interest rate swap or whatever if, if I want to. And I can access interest rates that were previously off limits to me. So even if I just buy something called a stable coin, which is tied to the US dollar, I can get interest of between 4 to 10% on that, which no bank offers me. So we're in a very interesting world where the rules of the game are being changed. We're using a lot of automated platforms to do this, fully automated platforms which bring down the cost and therefore offer the higher returns. And they give us radically new concepts. So let me just give you two examples. One is intelligent money. Today, if you have a dollar bill, it doesn't, in, in the bank, the, that dollar bill doesn't know you own it. The bank knows you own the dollar, but you're not tied to an individual dollar. In the future, you'll be able to set rules for that dollar to be able to say, look, continuously look for where the best interest rate is and move um, to wherever you think you can get the best interest on yourself. So you get smart money. The second is uh, what's called fractionalization and tokenization. So 
the idea of breaking assets down into tiny fractions. Today, if I want to buy an Amazon share, largely there's one or two platforms allowing me to buy a fraction of it, but I need a few thousand dollars. But what if we could break that down into tens of thousands of smaller units so that everyone had access? Well, we can now do that. Tokenization is taking advantage of these fully automated platforms that have come out of crypto and saying, okay, imagine you're buying a house for $100,000. Well, let's convert the ownership of that house into 10 million tokens of one, pen, uh, one cent each. And then I can buy you know, $20,000 worth of the house with my cash. I can take a mortgage for $20,000. And then the other $60,000 can be issued as tokens. And anyone who wants to can buy tokens, either directly in my house or put it into a fund that buys tokens in houses. And the great thing is, I can do that almost anywhere. I can go into a retailer and maybe have my coffee purchase topped up from $2.75 to $3 with 25 cents then going in to buy 25 tokens in a property. Yeah. I can then sell my tokens whenever I want to. I don't have to wait for you to sell your property. And if you're the property owner and you need some cash back out of your property, you can just sell some tokens. You don't have to get into a complex and expensive equity release program. So suddenly we're opening up participation. And if you're someone with very low resources, but you want a home one day, well, this is one way of getting in. You can buy some tokens in a house watch them appreciate, cash them in, maybe put them in another house and gradually build up the funds to enable you to buy your own property, which will so give you a far better return than a savings account in a, in a, in a bank. Yeah, so it's really, um, as you said, it's hard to separate the chicken and the egg, and, and it's kind of the technology and, and the behaviors are changing, and that's going to form our future. I mean, really interesting stuff. Um, Rohit, we're going to take a short break, and, and when we talk about behaviors, when we come back, I, I really want to talk about people, because one of the things that you do at um, Fast Future is you specialize also in making sure you create a very human future by putting people at the center. And I want to come back to what we talked about training and organizations and the behaviors that you're seeing. So for our listeners, we are talking with Rohit Talva, and he's a global futurist, award-winning keynote speaker, author, and CEO of Fast Future. He's also the author of two books, one that came out in June 2020, uh, Aftershocks and Opportunities, Scenarios for Post-Pandemic Future, and a new one that's just released recently, Aftershocks and Opportunities Number 2, Navigating the Next Horizon. And he's also an author of many other books. So please go on to Amazon and look up what he's written or co-authored and edited. You can also reach out to him on fastfuture.com. On Facebook, he is on Rohit K. Talva. On LinkedIn, under Rohit Talva. And on Twitter, under Fast Future. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. 
Today, we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about what's happening today and what the future may look like. And we're talking with Rohit Talva, and he's a global futurist and award-winning keynote speaker, author, and the CEO of Fast Future. He has a new book that came directly off the shelves recently called Aftershocks and Opportunities 2, Navigating the Next Horizon. And this is what we're talking about today. So, Rohit, um, the the behavior changes and, and the access to money and the technology changes are, are really interesting. And that's what we just talked about um, before the break. And I want to come back to people because in the beginning we, you talked about um, you know skill sets training people moving on to companies what what is the organizations and the companies what do they have to do what are they going to look like going forward or how have they have they changed I think uh, firms are now faced with uh, some very big issues about what is our purpose going forward what's our responsibility to society to our shareholders, to our employees, and to wider uh, stakeholders in society. Everyone is being challenged and being asked to say, well, what contribution are you making to the greater good through actions that advance the sustainable development goals? What are you going to do to make life better for, for us, not just make profit? So everyone is being challenged with that. We're also being challenged to say, do we simplify our business so we can manage it more effectively? We know that uh, a lot of firms have struggled to transform their businesses with technology. McKinsey did a survey of CEOs, and only 16% said that they were happy with what their digital transformation effort was doing for their organize, for their organization. So uh, we're at a difficult point. And so a lot of organizations are saying, hang on, maybe we need to start from scratch. We need to think like a digital startup and start by saying, well, what are we trying to do as an organization? What are the outputs we're trying to create? What's the information we need to report to our regulators, to report to our shareholders? And then what are the processes we need? And let's design all that in software. So let's effectively create a digital simulation, a digital model of the organization and start with the software effectively and then work out where we need people, where we need buildings, where we need plant and equipment. And, and that's a sort of corporation zero approach, starting with nothing and building up from there. And that's going to have real challenges around, well, what's the right design for organizations now? What skills do we need? How do we upskill our people? And we're seeing coming out of the world of crypto, this idea of decentralized autonomous organizations that are designed 
and then left to operate on their own just as a piece of software. There's no employees. The people who own tokens or coins in that venture get to vote on what changes might be required, but there are no direct employees. And a lot of businesses are saying, well, we could adopt that same kind of thinking and create these fully automated businesses. So the, the whole nature of business, its purpose, its structure, how it competes in the world, how it automates core processes, how it partners, all of those things are up for grabs. And all of that then creates a focus on what kind of talent do we need? Uh, how do we get the talent to take more responsibility for its own development? And then what leadership do we need? And how do we get leaders to be more future focused? How do we get them to be more capable of getting the best out of their people, engaging their people more, turning everyone in the organization into a radar screen of what's changing in the world around us, and really becoming like the orchestra conductor, uh, but more actually like the, uh, the, the, the conductor of a jazz quartet that's constantly changing its the way it plays to adapt to the world around us or even uh, the dance instructor if we see the world as a dance where we're constantly having to learn new dance routines so i mean when you talk about leadership is that and that really changes what a leader needs to be in the future and how far along do you think we are do you think the leaders out there know this or recognize that they have to change or help go with this change? Well, like everything, there's no one single yeah. story. And if you look across the world, across industries, uh, across types of business, we've got huge variations. We've got a lot of leaders now who get that and who are really focused on investing in developing others around them to be foresight-led leaders, to be servant leaders, and, and to really work with the ecosystem in, a, in very different ways. And you've got the other end of the spectrum, people who still believe it's all about command and control, making all the decisions and being a very dominant force in their business. And you're always going to have that spectrum. But I think what we'll see is that a lot of the organizations that do best in the future will be the ones that really have that focus on leading from the future enabling their people and, and tapping into source, sources of ideas and talent that have been underused. For example, women across the world, they're a resource that's been underused and we haven't empowered them enough in a lot of places. And they're just as capable or more capable than their male counterparts are doing pretty much every role in society and business today. And they haven't had as much access. And so one of the big leaps forward in the next few years is leaders creating that space for women to really step up and become equally represented at every layer of the organization on boards on, in management uh, and no longer to be seen as someone unique if they make it to the board but actually to be seen as just the norm mm -hmm. I, I like that <laughs> so um uh, that's very good and i know we've tried to do that in europe um some successful in some places, not successful in other places and in industries and across. But um, we're getting towards the end. We're getting towards the end of the, the show, Warhead. And I, I have a question. So let's if you were talking to a classroom of um, 12 year olds, you know, girls and boys. OK, um, how what would you 
what would you tell them about how to prepare for themselves for future jobs, future employment, and what the future might look like? Uh, the first thing is do what you love and find things that you love doing because that can become a career now. So if you look at video gamers, now people are making money out of playing video games. They're making money out of being in the virtual worlds, creating what are called skins for other people's characters, i.e. the outfits that other people's characters will, uh, wear. They're making a lot of money doing this. So follow your passion, whatever it happens to be. Uh, secondly, really kind of use whatever resource you need to to, to learn. So if, the, if what you're learning in the classroom isn't working, find it, find resources online to help you. And thirdly, be prepared to have a conversation with your parents on a continuous basis about how you see the world so that they understand how you view it differently. Don't just sit there and get angry with them if they're trying to encourage you to do something and you don't agree with them. Explain why and get used to having conversations, get used to talking being out there, because even in a world where a lot of us are hiding behind the screen or, or in prison behind the screen, those who are going to get on best are the ones who are the best communicators, the best collaborators, the fastest learners, the most flexible. And that's why we need to, from a very early age, be acquiring those skills, but also be learning how to work with each other and our family and our friends so that we learn how to navigate difficult situations through conversation and we therefore make ourselves incredibly valuable in the world going forward. Great advice. And if you had, so you, you, we've talked to the 12 year olds and you have one piece of advice for the parents of the 12 year olds, what would that be? It would be to ask the 12 year olds what they as parents need to learn about. Uh, what do their kids think the parents need to understand? in order for the parents not to be left behind and fossilized in the next decade. Okay, great. Okay, well, um, thank you. It's been, it's been really, really interesting. And uh, for our listeners, we have been speaking with Rohit Talvar, and he's a global futurist, award-winning keynote speaker, author, and the CEO of Fast Future. Now, his prime expertise lies in helping clients understand and shape the emerging future. He has a particular interest in how we can create a very human future by putting people at the center. And a quick question on that statement, Rohit, how can we be more human? Can you answer that? It's a difficult challenge because we're spending more and more of our time behind the technology. But I think this is where we need to make choices about getting out again, and particularly after the pandemic, getting out, socializing, spending time with friends, listening to people more, finding causes that we want to support and getting out and giving our time to them in a physical way, not just our money uh, or our online likes. And, and it is about connecting again. And then the other side of it is about raising our digital literacy. So we understand the technology better and we can make it work for us rather than us working for it. Yeah. Great, I think, great. Yeah, I just think bringing yes. that human perspective to everything we do allows us to stay human and become even more human in a world that has more and more technology in it.
And and I, I agree. I think that's so important. And um, thank you for that last statement. And Rohit is the founder of Fast Future. And Fast Future is a research and insights business that specializes in the fields of futures and foresight. Fast Future explores, experiments, and creates various future ideas, scenarios to deliver insights to individuals and businesses that want to consider creating a better future. And he's the author of several books. And his new recent books that are just out are Aftershocks and Opportunities, Scenarios for Post-Pandemic Future. And that came out in June 2020. And part two just came out now. And it's Aftershocks and Opportunities, part two, Navigating the Next Horizon. And I recommend both books, great reading. They're both on Amazon, as well as his other number, numerous books are on Amazon. And if you'd like to reach out to Rohit, please go to www.fastfuture.com. He is also on Facebook under Rohit Talvar, and that's R-O-H-I-T-K. T-A-L-W-A-R, and he's also on LinkedIn under Rohit Talvar, and that's R-O-H-I-T-T-A-L-W-A-R. And please reach out to him on Twitter. He is under Fast Future. And thank you for listening. You can tune in to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Thank you, and until next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.